Welcome to The Technology Pill, a podcast that looks at how technology is reshaping our lives every day and exploring the different ways that governments and companies use tech to increase their power. My name is Gus Hossein, and I'm the Executive Director at Privacy International. And I'm Caitlin, and I'm PI's Campaigns Officer. Hi. We're going to, in a bit, give you like a spotter's guide to facial recognition. But before we, we got on to facial recognition, f- fairly recent news came out, I think the end of last week, that I just w- quickly wanted to talk about, because it's huge. Um, it's both huge and not surprising. It, like, the scale is astonishing, but it's not surprising. And it's the Facebook leak. So 553 million Facebook records have been either hacked or scraped, depending on who you listen to, if that's a useful distinction, which I'm not sure it is. It's like people's names, it's their phone numbers. So Mark Zuckerberg was an, a record was in this particular leak, um, apparently. Apparently he uses Signal, which is intriguing. I don't know if he uses WhatsApp or not, but he definitely apparently uses Signal. A ton of EU officials personal phone numbers were inv- were included because um, a couple of journalists like rang them and were like, did you know? And they were like, oh shit, um, this is a problem. And the EU is now having to review their security. Somebody's got to do something about that. <laughs> right. Um, and Facebook didn't tell anyone. Apparently they knew about it a little while ago before the news broke and they just kind of quietly didn't tell anyone, which means they might get in some really very serious trouble because if you have this kind of data breach, whether it was hacked or scraped as a data breach, then you're supposed to tell someone within a fairly short period of time, you're supposed to find out, turn around, instantly inform people. And Facebook have not done that. And I'm look, look, I'm old school enough to be really annoyed still when I get phone calls on my mobile phone from uh, fraudsters. Um, and so tell me, Facebook has phone number data? Oh, yeah. And they got it in a really weird way. Like, I'm pretty sure what happened was Facebook said, hey, can we have your phone number for two factor? We definitely won't use it for anything else. And then uh, surprise, surprise, (laughs) it did not stay for just two factor. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So this is the idea that Facebook will tell you, look, in order to make your account more secure Mm -hmm. um, so that we can detect anybody who's logging in using your account details who's not you, give us your telephone number so that we will only for the purpose of securing your account, text you the fact that you're logging in um, and possibly a code that you can enter. So it's a good security practice. And so I, not having a Facebook account anymore, but I, if I was a diligent Facebook user and cared about my security, I would do this because two-factor authentication is an incredibly important safeguard. And yet Facebook fucked it up. Yes, they uh, did not keep that data or that phone number kind of hived off for that one purpose. Um, But yeah, so it's this absolute shit show. Um, People's passwords, people's emails, people's phone numbers. And the scale is ridiculous. It's 553 million people. That's a lot of people. Like if you have a Facebook account, definitely at minimum change your password. Arguably... You know, lots of people tell you to leave Facebook. We're not going to do that just because, you know, at this point, you've been told that a lot. If you're still on Facebook, you know, you're probably going to be there. But if this is the last straw, by all means, leave Facebook. Yeah. Like, what what is the last straw? Like, how many times does a single company 
have to fuck up. And and I think the most important thing now, unfortunately, is to change your goddamn telephone number, which is a gross inconvenience, which is why people are going to get even more of these spam calls. And it's not just spam that they want to sell you insurance. I think this week alone, I got three phone calls claiming to be from the tax agency in this country saying that I'm behind on my debts or there's a fraud investigation into me. And there's also there are vaccine related uh, fraud initiatives. There's uh, contact tracing fraud initiatives. And the whole point is that we shouldn't be vulnerable to these things because our mm-hmm. data should be secure in a way that nobody should know my telephone number and any additional information about me. But no, shit like this makes it easier. It actually gets worse because if you if I have your phone number, you become vulnerable to something called SIM swapping, um, which is basically I ring your telephone company and say, hey, I'm Gus. Um, I've got a new phone. I just need to port my number over, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I get access to not just suddenly, not just your phone number, but your incoming kind of calls, text messages, whatever, including any you use for two-factor authentication. And wasn't that how they got the Twitter hack last year? I think they mm. even hacked Jack the, Jack himself at, at, at Twitter by doing that SIM jacking. Yeah, um, SIM jacking is easier than you'd hope. And um, phone numbers have become... We hand them out as if they're... You just give them to all sorts of places for deliveries, for whatever, but actually... It's pretty sensitive information. One option you have, you know, is to give out Google voice numbers instead or to use kind of one-time phone numbers, essentially, because it gets worse. Motherboard found a second cache of phone number as from Facebook. They found like this weird service. You message someone they get with a Facebook profile, they give you the phone number and that they, they claim extra phone numbers. They don't oh. think of the same cache. So yeah, if you can change your phone number it's probably a good plan if only to stop you getting endless phone calls from people trying to scam you this is just such bullshit like this is like these are trillion dollar companies who should be doing a better job at all these things and there should be goddamn laws around this oh there are laws around this but also it sucks for us to have to sit here and say hey maybe you should change your password you know if you reuse your password please get a password manager and stop doing that because things like this are going to keep happening you know, if there's a chance you can change your phone number, change your phone number. It sucks to have to sit here and tell you that because we don't want to be in the position of saying, here are things you can do to protect yourself when things like this happen, because ultimately the fault is not yours. It's Facebook's. Facebook has screwed you um, and they should be doing better and they should be more be acting more responsibly, but they haven't. So whilst we as PI will always go after these kind of companies and try and stop them from doing this kind of nonsense and screwing you in these ways, it it kind of sucks. The best advice we can give you at the moment, like for right now, change your password, get a password manager. If you can change your phone number, it's probably worthwhile doing because at this point you're probably are getting scam calls anyway. But yeah, so that's the fun times, good news, terrible news at the top. Um... I don't think it gets better, to be honest, with the next section, but (laughs) there we go. We are involved in this coalition called Reclaim Your Face, which is us and like 40 other organisations, including Edry, Access Now, Amnesty, All Out. It's a a ton of names you might recognise, supporting what's called a European Citizens Initiative which is the European Commission's kind of petition tool, like petition function, um, 
but it, essentially what it means is if we get a million signatures on this European Citizens Initiative asking the European Commission to ban biometric mass surveillance, which includes facial recognition, the European Commission has to respond. And they can respond in a variety of ways, but there is just a very strict process by which we get a million and then we trigger all sorts of kind of uh, policy responses that we may not ha- be able to engage with otherwise. Um, so, yeah, partly this episode is going to be asking you, if you're a European citizen, to go and sign this European Citizens Initiative, which you can find at pvcy.org forward slash ban biometrics, um, which will also be a link down below, and you can find it on PI's website, privacyinternational.org. So a spotter's guide to facial recognition is what I've called this because it's kind of what I want it to be. So there are lots of different kinds of facial recognition um, and a lot of them get confused with each other and a lot of them kind of do different things and have different functions and purposes. And first is even just like when and how they're used because there are two kind of condition main conditions of use for facial recognition, I guess you would say. One is live facial recognition which it means like it's in the moment. It's happening as things happen, whether that's you walking past a camera and it's saying, hey, look, that's who this is, or that's, you know, more likely that's who we think this is, or static facial recognition, which is facial recognition that kind of is happens after the fact. So you take some maybe CCTV footage um, and you run the facial recognition over kind of a period of time on that footage. like. It's footage you have and later in time you're going to be coming back to. And that's static facial recognition. Um, most of the ones we're going to talk about are kind of fall more into the live facial recognition category just because um, they're the ones you're more likely to kind of spot, I guess, because you can't tell if a supermarket's going back later or a police force is going back later to footage and using facial recognition on it by sight. But in general, most of the types of facial recognition we'll be talking about, um, the problems are kind of similar if they're live or if they're static. It's not like the privacy privacy concerns get magically better if someone's using it an hour later versus right now. But it's a distinction worth knowing about, I guess, was the first one. It's kind of a taxonomy one more than anything else. But like this this stuff matters. And and coming up with a taxonomy of like, okay, what is facial recognition, how is it actually used, uh, what are the different applications, and then what is it we don't like about it. That's this long journey that we're about to take you on, but this is this is how our brains think, because it would be easy to create a banner, and I'm probably insulting the very uh, website you created for the uh, for the campaign, that to have a simple message saying we should just ban something. By the way, the URL is pbcy.org slash biometrics. Um, but it's, it's, it's so much... It's easy just to say, stop doing something. It's easy mm. to say, this be bad. It's harder what we have to do, which is like to look into the details and figure out where exactly is it bad and what can we do to stop that from happening. So, okay, I just took us down a long freaking corridor, but I, I just no. love what you're about to do here. It's one of my favorite things when my colleagues do this, which is they try to understand something rather than just be outraged. Well, that's the thing with live versus static is sometimes people will say, you know, well, our problems with live facial recognition, live facial recognition is uniquely privacy invasive. It's uniquely problematic because 
you know, it's happening as you walk around in public space. You, there is no, there can be no kind of systems in place if it's just like an ongoing, um, like if it's a CCTV camera that's running live facial recognition, then there is no, there can be no process because it's just happening all the time. It's, it's like you put it at a train station, CCTV at a train station is like, okay, it's monitoring just to see if a crime occurs and then it will be used after the fact. But if you have uh, life recognition going on, it's identifying everybody in the train station at that moment in time, which is something that's never happened before. It's even more complicated than that because um, the, the static facial recognition relies on the cctv but isn't the cctv so we have our own problems with cctv um yeah. but the live facial live facial recognition yeah it's happening all the time it's recognizing everyone in theory that's the plan or it's looking for particular people and thus checking everyone um static facial recognition does the same thing because it's i guess time slipped because it's applied deliberately there is some arguments that, that it is kind of differently invasive um the thing is without safeguards that's not true uh, right like it's the same technology applied at a different period of time if there are no safeguards then it's not less privacy invasive so the example being uh without the safeguards it could just be at that train station rather than have the computing power to do live recognition at the end of every day they go through the tapes and identify everybody who'd been there through the day versus and i think where people think it could be less invasive is uh on Tuesday at 2 p.m., something went really wrong at this train station. Let's um, use the one camera footage to identify everybody who was in that area um, because we think something's gone wrong. And let's hope that that something that's gone wrong is a clear crime and a clear investigation with all the safeguards has been started. Not just, oh, somebody walked by that looked like they had a lot of money. Maybe we can advertise to that person. Let's identify that person mm-hmm. for later onwards. But it's like... And, and then the level of safeguards becomes the question, is it, you know, go to a judge for a warrant and have it have to be a certain level of crime, a certain kind of magnitude, a certain urgency as well? Um, like, you know, and then the, the debate becomes the safeguards, which I think is a good debate to have. But it's worth noting that live versus static isn't inherently, there is no inherent kind of massive difference in the invasiveness. Um, and the first kind of facial recognition I'm going to, we're going to discuss is like incredibly quote-unquote basic it's the kind of facial recognition that looks at you and says that is a face it's the kind you see on your camera on your phone camera now most of the time um it's the kind that draws the little box around a face and says do you want to take a picture of this specifically is this your focal point that is a face um it's almost the prerequisite for most forms of facial recognition right it's like just literally this is a face sometimes you see it on supermarket cctv um God knows at this at the supermarket that I go to most often you walk through the door there's a big screen uh with the CCTV of the entrance and you've got if you stand there it sometimes will draw a little square around your face this this kind is a prerequisite for other kinds and the fact that you know like it's it's recognizing your face doesn't necessarily mean it's doing more things um but it also doesn't mean it's not biased and it doesn't have problems <laughs> Yeah, because I, I remember hearing of a, um, and I think this was in London, where there was a camera that would detect a face and only ascribe a gender and yeah. possibly an age and then show you an advertisement right there and then telling you, isn't it really cool that we create, can create this ad? And yet 
they would argue, look, we're not invading anybody's privacy because we're not really trying to identify you. We're just identifying that there's a face and you look old and you look like a certain gender. Well, this is a further kind of facial recognition. So once you've started recognizing faces, um, there's a kind of facial recognition as with all kinds of these things, like lots, of, there are lots of different terms that are used. Um, I would call these kind of categorization versions of facial recognition. Sorry, I'm, I, I jumped to you along your taxonomy. I apologize. It's fine. Um, there is, whilst I put a hierarchy and we have like a little planning document, whilst I put a hierarchy, these are the two that could go either way. Um, so with categorization, what it's not, it's not necessarily trying to recognize who you are, but it is trying to ascribe certain categories to you. And we've seen people try and do that with gender. We've seen, which, like, as a side note, is horrific. Um, If people are trying to ascribe gender to you, it suggests they know what gender looks like. And in all likelihood, they don't. That is incredibly difficult to do. It it can make life quite difficult for trans people. And, like, imagine if if you're a trans person and you're walking down the street and suddenly a billboard is saying, hey, hey, we recognize you're a man. It's like, you're wrong. And you have tried to do this weird recognition categorization on the basis of assumptions that were just wrong. Um, and that's assuming that they recognize the face to begin with. Um, facial recognition algorithms, even just as basic as like, that is a face, haven't always been that good at recognizing, for example, black people's faces are faces. If you've ever tried to take a picture on your phone and the phone square has shown up over some people's faces, but not all people's faces, then you'll be familiar with this problem. And and some proctoring softwares have gotten trouble for this because they're not necessarily trying to recognize who you are, but they're trying to recognize there's a face in front of a camera sitting down to take an exam. And Proctorio recently got in a ton of trouble because they're terrible at recognizing that there's a black person actually just kind of sitting there. And kind of black students have been reporting, they've had to find so many different forms of light to point at their own face, just so that the the software will recognize that they are there. There is a face, they are sitting there. Um, But yeah, so categorization is like the next step. And um, so we've seen gender, we've seen people try and do age. And recently a group called IPVM have released a ton of standards on Chinese facial recognition. that have been co-written with a couple of Chinese facial recognition and camera companies. And the the categories that they're asking for are wild. It's like type of hairstyle, type of eyebrow shape, um, ethnicity, some of which are likely to be coming from other databases and some of which the intention is you see a person and you kind of add these tags, like they're categorizing based on this facial recognition. This is not a good kind of facial recognition. Um, for one thing, it frequently doesn't work. For another, it's so weird and creepy and it's just and so privacy invasive. It's not saying this is who you are, it's saying this is who we think you are based on what you look like. And that is not inherently better than this is who you definitely are according to your records. The, the ambition to categorize is growing despite the the failures um and there's also the um emotion recognition that's mm-hmm. increasingly being sold around as and as we've discussed before emotion emotions are hard emotion recognition is bullshit um even though that uh you know cops think they can do it airport security guards think they can do it they can't it just doesn't work but um they're going to spend billions on it which is why this industry is probably building it in too but the, what is the usefulness of gender recognition that's my real question with all of these like 
what is the use case? Because I can't think of any that aren't horrific. And and then we move on to facial recognition that does try and recognize you. Um, so the facial recognition so far, I've said, hey, there's a face. And then they've gone, hey, there's a face. And then try to attach things to it. Um, and yeah, these are the kind you'll see walking around. Digital billboards are a big one because um, sometimes they'll try and say, X number of people looked at me. Um, X number of people of this gender, this age, was it a child, was it not a child, looked at me and thus you did a good thing buying this digital billboard. You know, it, it's like click tracking functionally, but for eyeballs. Um, so if you see a digital billboard, there's a chance that they're doing this. Um, it's not, I'm going to push back this a little bit. It's not like click tracking because click tracking is for a website I intentionally went to in order to get something that website might be doing something to me. A billboard is in my fucking space. You know, I'm walking around my goddamn city where I pay taxes and they're just gathering shit on me and deciding to, to categorize me without any of my volition. So that is true. Bite me. If I go Sorry. to Instagram and click on an ad, that is quite different to if I walk down the street and look at a billboard for a second and then keep walking. But, um, okay, so face, face recognition that tries to recognize you. The most familiar, we'll start with the most basic, which isn't super basic, but it is the most common, I guess, which is face recognition for authentication. So uh, you might see this as one-to-one facial recognition. Um, and this is the kind you use to open your iPhone if you have an iPhone. Or I think other phones have started to try and use this. But if you're o- unlocking your phone with your face, your face is recognizing your face, comparing it to an image it already has of you, and then opening. Um, your phone is recognizing your face. You said your face is recognizing your face. I mean, I imagine your face is also recognizing your face uh, in the in the image of your phone. But yes, this is a good point. Uh, your phone recognizes your face. It compares it to an image it already has and says, yes, this is you or yes, this not no, boo, this isn't you. Um, this is also what you get at digital passport gates. If you slide your passport into the little slot thingy and look at the camera, it's saying, OK, I've got your passport. Is this person that person? Um, so this is facial recognition for authentication. A lot of the time you'll be carrying around the thing that you're being authenticated against. Like frequently it's not something that someone else has of you um, and is looking at. It's something you were, you were carrying about and saying, this is me. You can double check if that makes and sense. And you were involved in the creation of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, it's you asserting it's you. Yeah. Uh, as much as anything else. It's not like the system created on you without you even knowing. Yeah. Um, again, the privacy concerns are there. There are some. And the security concerns are there. There are some. If you're unlocking your phone with your face. Um, I know at least a couple of times in Hong Kong, Chinese police were taking your phone off you and shoving it in your face um, or in democracy activists face to try and open it um there are privacy concerns um there are security concerns but this is the kind of most common i think version of facial recognition trying to recognize you that people will interact with um and it's been around for quite a while particularly digital passport gates um and i think it's a particularly useful example because sometimes like people talk about facial recognition and you're so used to seeing it in movies um you're so used to seeing it like elsewhere and although it feels like it's coming closer some people for a lot of people it still feels like science fiction like people are being a bit kind of um uh what's the word um 
Yeah, or like a bit hysterical, just like, yeah, okay, facial recognition's gonna follow me around a city. It's like, you have already used and interacted with facial recognition if you have travelled internationally and if you have tried to open your phone, open your face, face with your phone, phone with your face, goddamn. If you've tried to open your phone with your face, you've interacted with facial recognition that's tried to recognise you. Um, and that kind of cross, helps us cross over nicely to, um, one to many kind of facial recognition which is um comparing you to a list of people so rather than you comparing being compared to a single picture that you're probably carrying around as you being compared to a list of people to double check um this is a lot more your traditional kind of facial recognition so this is your watch list this is um the kind of you know if you're one we've seen in use actually by police which is they've got a watch list of specific people they're looking for um they're running facial recognition on everyone walking past camera looking for those particular people yeah this is uh this is what was being tested in london about a year or two ago where the cops pulled up in a, with a van set mm-hmm. everything up on a street i think it was in east london and uh the anybody walking past would have their data captured sorry, their face captured and compared to a watch list. Mm -hmm. And so the police said, look, if you're not on the watch list, you have nothing to worry about. Um, (laughs) And yet when some people would see the van down the street and say, I'm not walking down this goddamn street. Mm -hmm. I don't want this to happen to me. And so they they would turn down a different street and the cops would be there waiting for them too. uh, Mm -hmm. Because avoiding the, the, the application of this technology is also a problem according to their eyes. Um, and this is the kind they've used at Notting Hill Carnival. This is the kind that um, South Wales police got stopped from using in the UK. The really interesting case as well, I think, in the UK was in King's Cross. So a facial recognition company called Facewatch um, had been operating uh, facial recognition on the King's Cross estate, which isn't the King's Cross train station, but it is kind of the area around the King's Cross train station. Um, just for people who aren't Londoners, um, the area around King's Cross uh, historically has been uh, a high crime, high drug area. Now it's the exact opposite. It's a high Silicon Valley uh, area where all... Google the, just opened a campus there. Google spent a billion dollars <laughs> opening their campus there. Um, it's incredibly posh now. It's It yeah. feels like you're walking around Palo Alto but even like Palo Alto is a bit of a dump compared to what this area has. It has every store you could ever want. It's yeah, it's it's not where regular people would be traipsing around accidentally. It's it's the kind of area that you don't notice isn't public space until you're say homeless and you're being ush- ushered off by security guards. Um, if if you are a Londoner and you're not sure where I'm talking about, it's the back of King's Cross up towards Granary Square. Um, so the police kind of almost under the table slid them a couple of images of people to add to a watch list. So it was a private company that was operating this surveillance, not a, poli- a police force. And the police, <laughs> with, a, with an interesting attitude to data protection, slid them a couple of images of some people they were looking out for. So not people who'd like escaped from prison and needed to be caught like because they were presenting a severe and present danger to the public right now in the next 10 minutes. Just some people, you know, if you spot them, just like, nudge us a wink. So it's not just like, here is the police in a massive van. It's It can be 
quite insidious because anywhere there is facial recognition, these public-private partnerships between police forces and governments and private companies uh, who do not, who should not and are not in the business of enforcing law get get set up where you know police don't have to don't have to show up with their van because they're co-opting these private organizations to kind of circumvent the normal processes um which are already fairly dodgy the met's been trialing facial recognition for quite a while without any real authorization and for a while without wanting to tell anyone about it so yeah these kind of public private partnerships which have been popping up alongside facial recognition are deeply concerning because they quite frequently have less accountability and less transparency than even the already concerning police use of facial recognition um which is deeply invasive and problematic because a while ago facebook actually started kind of doing this where you upload a picture and facebook goes aha i recognize that face it's your friend kathy um do you want me to tag kathy and you were able to opt out of this facial recognition the problem with that is to opt out of this tagging system they checked photos of your friend like your friends uploaded when, oh, I do recognise that, that's Caitlin. Caitlin doesn't want to be involved in this, so I just won't tag her. But you've gone through the whole process. Um, And it's the same with people walking past facial recognition. You don't opt out by not being on the list. You know, you still get looked at, you still get facial recognition. And when the system doesn't work as it's supposed to, which is at the moment most facial recognition, and say you're black, there's a strong chance you're going to get pulled over for a quiet word by a police officer. Now, the Met have said that there is always a person in between the face recognition and the being someone being pulled across. Like, the face recognition says, we think this is this person. The police officer looks at the person or the person walking past and the image that face recognition has returned and says, eh, don't think so, or, yeah, I think so. Which isn't really adequate, because for all sorts of reasons. Uh, one thing, if, if someone's walking past and a police officer goes, oh shit, better grab them, how how carefully do you think that they're sitting down and going, hmm, well that person has a mole and that person doesn't. And it really requires you to trust that the police have the best, kind of, the best good faith kind of version of this, that they're happy to challenge the computer that they're happy to not pull aside black people um before you extend this capacity that they've never had in the history of policing mm-hmm. and anywhere unless even in police states where they will now have the capacity to do it just about anywhere mm-hmm. that's the difference you know it's one thing for a dodgy cop even the best cop to be in a corner in a specific neighborhood at one moment in time but all of a sudden because he's probably public-private partnerships, they could be any street corner, public or private, Mm -hmm. uh, and this process could be applying. And then when there's room for error, but leaving aside the error and the abuses of justice that occur consequent to errors, we have never had a situation where you could potentially face this scrutiny everywhere. You Mm -hmm. could potentially have this checkpoint at any moment in time. And considering the lack of transparency the police have had about their own deployment, let alone with the public-private partnerships in these small deployments, when it's everywhere. What the fuck? Yeah, sorry. So it's really problematic when it works. It's really problematic when it doesn't work. 
Um, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be designing safeguards on the basis of good cops. We should be designing safeguards on the basis of what is what is the worst version of this because that's the version we don't want to happen. Like you know, it it's insane to say oh don't worry trust us when that hasn't frequently hasn't proved to be true and we haven't been given the transparency and accountability to actually review what that looks like. Yeah, wasn't um, at PI this week, we were sharing stories that we'd all read during the break. And one colleague shared a story from Belgium, mm. where uh, there was a neighborhood where back in 2013, um, it's, it's a neighborhood, uh, a particularly Jewish neighborhood. Back in 2013, there were some attacks on the Jewish community. So uh, the community agreed to put up cameras uh, that the police could use to help protect the community. But now under COVID, it's being used by the police and others, I guess, to monitor the community's adherence to COVID regulations. And it's like, even, it's a, you're entirely right. We always have to imagine the worst case scenario when it comes to the deployment of these technologies, because it inevitably, not inevitably, but just in our track, in our monitoring the track records, we don't see these technologies being used in less pervasive and invasive ways just by some natural state. The reality is that they, they tend to be used to their fullest extent uh, in, in the most upside down ways. Yeah. Um, and so the last version of facial recognition I wanted to talk about is the kind that I don't think we've necessarily seen yet, but has been promised by companies like Clearview, which is not one to a specific list um, or one to a specific group. It's one to everyone, which is a facial recognition system in which so much, so many pictures have been scraped, so many people have been entered that I can point my say the initial promise I think of, of Clearview was a police officer could go up to someone, point their phone at them, and the Clearview app would like return whoever it was. Um not comparing it to like a specific list of suspects, but comparing it to like everyone's Facebook profile and think everyone every image that's been uploaded to the internet ever, whatever. So it could in theory recognise everyone. So rather than you're walking past a camera, um it's looking at you, it's saying is this a person on this list I've been given to try and look for? It's saying, oh, that's Caitlin. Caitlin keeps walking, you know, and maybe it's not pinging something because I'm not who they're looking for, but rather than saying this is not X, it's saying this is who this is. And that is probably the scariest version of facial recognition because it means that as you're walking around a space, whether it's, you know, a police van or it's just cameras that exist and are up, um, whether it's private cameras, public cameras, uh, it, it's recognising me as I walk around my life and I, I do the things that I do, whether it's me going to a doctor's appointment, whether it's me buying, you know, my shopping, whether it's me walking around the, the supermarket, picking stuff up and putting it down, you know, picking up salad, going actually, realistically, no thank you, and picking up chocolate. Like, um, this is the worst most dystopic fashion i think of facial recognition it's one that multiple companies have tried to explore find ways of doing find ways of getting close to um it's the one that scares the bejesus out of me now all of them are concerning most of them are currently in use this is the one i think that people are working towards um that probably doesn't necessarily exist right now if that makes sense that oh, makes sense this is what industry and 
authorities see as the holy grail. Like this is this is where it all ends up. This is what they are they're hoping for, and this is why companies like Clearview exist. Mm -hmm. But you don't need this version of facial recognition to create a dystopic kind of version of reality. So if you look at um, China, if you look at Xinjiang, um, where China have been accused of perpetrating really horrific um, things against the Uyghur population, uh, people have described the facial recognition and the, and the cameras there as creating kind of like a digital prison. Because as you walk around, the cameras are going or the cameras are attempting to say, hey, that person's Uyghur, even if they're not returning a face which or a name, which to be honest, at this point in China, they might be, um, even if they're not doing that, even so much as the categorization going back there, the categorization facial recognition can cause really quite significant problems. Um, if you look at the kind of trans debates in the UK and increasing the US and what people refer to as bathroom bills, um, which is where people try and ban ban people from certain bathrooms on the basis of their, not Jesus, the gender they were assigned at birth. Um, that's where you can really see these kind of cameras becoming incredibly problematic. Um, but like, yeah, so the categorization version of gender the categorization version of facial recognition is no less horrifying and can create no less horrifying outcomes than the one to everyone version of facial recognition. Each of these have their own particular flavor of horrific. Um, and yeah, facial recognition, it, it, it comes in so many different flavors, I guess. And so many different people have like done weird shit with it. Some, researcher a while ago was like hey i wonder if we can recognize gay people based on what they look like um and it's like and i think that his intention was actually i don't think i think one of the gender recognition ones the intention was like to say this is a bad plan here's how you do it and why it's bad which is already insane but um the 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 idea that you would create an algorithm that can tell if someone's gay based on their face which already suggests significant problems in your thinking um the idea that like the structure of someone's face is related to their gayness is bizarre um and pretty homophobic but the idea that you do that um and you come away with something that you say works um and you think that there is any any application of that that isn't horrifying that there is any version of that where you could install that anywhere literally anywhere um, and and it wouldn't have terrible outcomes is insane. It's just bizarre. Like you don't need the most dystopic version of this to create a dystopia. Yeah, I I, I tend to take the um, I don't know if you remember the movie Brazil. Um, when we talk about dystopias, I take the Brazil I approach. Do not which know is, that movie. It's it's it, it came out at the same time as the um, nineteen eighty four version of 1984 uh and it just it, it imagined um it a, a dystopia and it was totalitarian but it was also um uh incompetency is what gets you to become the target of the state uh literally a a, a bug in the ointment results in the wrong person being targeted and so like the the my only concern about dystopic uh analyses is that it presumes a perfect operation of the system 
uh, and very clear intentionalities of the bad system, uh, the bad people running the bad system in order to have bad outcomes. I take more of the view that bad outcomes are a, a result more often than not of any goddamn system. Mm. And you got to have the best of intentions as you deploy a system and a bad outcome will be the result. And it's because technology doesn't work the way that you think it does. It isn't one and zero. It isn't good and bad. And the way that we, we integrate these systems into our lives doesn't work that way either. And so it will just lead to horrible negative outcomes where we have no accountability and that's ultimately this is why facebook exists this is why uh the police are excited around facial recognition just trying to loop this all together and it's because uh in our old pre-1980s world in theory if you were wealthy enough to to be a consumer you had rights uh, as you're interacting with a with with, with a, a store, as you're interacting with the state, there were like customer support departments who would help you along the way, and there'd be legal rights that you have. Um, this outsourcing to technology and this outsourcing to firms and this public-private partnership thing and the the Facebookization of the internet has created like this, and this is what Amazon does so well as well. Like it creates this storefront kind of feel. Like oh, I I know who I'm interacting with because I'm engaging with Facebook or I'm walking down this part of King's Cross, and then all of a sudden, if you ever have a problem, all of a sudden, it becomes impossible for you to penetrate. The problem to, to to seek redress becomes practically impossible because they'll say, oh, well, it's not us. I'm sorry you have to go to this person. And then they'll say, well, it's the algorithm. It's not us. And the algorithm is designed over here. And the, the algorithm folks will say, well, actually, it's the source data. And the source data was from this company. And this company stole that source data uh, from your face from Facebook. And then it just becomes this whole fucking storm that you as a sole individual against not even this totalitarian machine, this machine of incompetency built on a house of cards uh, with the, the, that, that third pig that built a house with, with, with twigs uh, at the base of it. That's the freaking world we're building. Oh, I'm sorry. You have such a very clear ambition for this podcast where you wanted to present this taxonomy. Instead, you had just me ranting in the middle, just taking us down these freaking corridors. But I mean, just... that's the thing about, I mean, facial recognition, each of... I've tried to be like, this is this, this is this, this is this. It's not really true. It's a bit kind of a, a, a fiction. Um, a lot of these things wander into each other, start as one thing, end up a different thing, um, which is a significant problem. Like a function creep is just one thing starts and they say it's, oh, you know, it's 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 this version of this thing. And they go, oh, maybe we could add this thing. And oh, maybe um, it could be useful for this. But it, it is a, just the lack of, transparency and accountability is a severe concern um and the moment we say we want any of those things so like oh no you can't just add an emotion recognition filter on top of mm. your 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 gender recognition filter which was, was just added on to the is there a human present uh filter uh the moment we start asking for these things these companies and their 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 idiots in government will say, "Oh, you're getting in the way of innovation," uh, or "You're, you know, how dare you stand on the sides of, of people who want to go to the bathroom, um, or how dare you stand on the sides of of people who are on a watch list? God knows how how you ended up on a watch list, or how dare you stand on the side of people who might have be having a bad day and the system recognizes them as being angry, you know, like fuck." Yeah, um, 
and that's the thing. So with the ECI, it's to ban biometric mass surveillance, and the mass surveillance is important. Like we're not trying to, we're not coming for your iPhone. Um, we're not coming for the convenience of being able to unlock your iPhone with your face. Um, and there's a reason that we think that these technologies are so concerning, so problematic, so privacy invasive that actually just kind of sitting down and saying. Whilst there might be, you know, some, I think we've said in PI before, like internally we've said, there might, there may be some situations in which some uses of facial recognition may possibly be justified, but the safeguards that we would require to, for those situations, for it to actually be used, would be so high, so burdensome, so onerous as to functionally be a ban. That's kind of been the conversation internally. It's like, um, yes, there are some scenarios that it's humanly possible to imagine where it might be reasonable to deploy, blah, blah, blah. But that would require such a long list of X, Y, and Z um, that it kind of almost invalidates that scenario. For one thing, like we didn't even get onto how these models are trained. Like We didn't even get onto how these models are being built and trained and where that data comes from and what is an acceptable source of that data. Um, but we, we can explore that in a future podcast because um, yes. we have some excellent colleagues at PI who are uh, who are looking at this a little bit more and devising some interesting legal tools we can use to go after this. And so we can have them talk about that and hopefully I will interrupt them less. <laughs> so exactly. So long story short, there are lots of different types of facial recognition. You might spot them out and about. Please sign our ECI. I mean, I think that's that's the the thrust of this podcast. Um, pvcy.org forward slash ban biometrics, just in case you're wondering. Um, cool. So should we wrap up? I think that's uh, that's that's a good way to wrap up. That's a long. We've talked about a lot, uh, and <laughs> you've managed to make facial recognition interesting again. This is <laughs> fascinating. I, uh, I had to fight it back during when it was becoming a passport standard, and that was infuriating back then. And I think I've I, I lamented that in the last podcast, but uh, you've managed to make this understandable, clear, and something that makes me want to sign a petition, which I hardly ever do. Um, I, should, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I think that, I, to be fair, like, just to go the petition thing, the reason we've gone down this route is it's really specific. Like, if you open the form, you might see it's not a short form. Um, the European Commission actually asks for quite a bit, depending on which country you're in. So if you're in Austria, the requirements are slightly different than if you're in Germany, because they're set country by country. And it asks for a lot. Um, so we've had to been really, we've been very careful and very specific about the data protection kind of involved, because it's a little bit, um, for one thing, we we're never going to see what you put in that form. Like to reassure you, when you fill that form out, and there it does ask for a lot. Um, it's not for PI reasons; it's for the European Commission mandate that amount of data, and they validate that to make sure that the people who've signed on are European citizens. Um, we do not see or ever use that data. The reason we've gone down this route is because it does have such a you hit this target things happen you know like petitions can be really really useful tools um as a way of saying this many people care about this thing and that can be great leverage it can be great leverage for you know mps who have have the kind of um are always 
if they're good MPs weighing the concerns of their constituents because they care about them, if they're dodgy, like slightly less, more venal MPs, it's because they have to get re-elected. Um, they can be useful with companies because companies are trying to sell you a product. And if tons of people are saying, actually, we don't think this is acceptable, then they have to worry about the profit margins. Um, so petitions can be extremely useful tools. And I get that there's some people, you know, you feel this petition fatigue um, where everyone's asking you for a signature, you sign stuff, you never hear back about it and, and you feel kind of let down. Like, where did it go? What happened with it? What was the response? Um, the European Commission have to respond. If we hit a million signatures, which is a huge target um, and it is going to be really difficult, but if we do it, and I think we can, then we get a response. There's no kind of void afterwards. Um there is a thing that has to happen um, and it's legally mandated. So um, if you sign this petition, it's not going to be like a, it's not something we did off the cuff. It's not something we thought, here's a problem I know we'll do a petition. Um, it's something we've thought really carefully about and it's something that exists in law um, and has a legal and political reaction that has to then follow. Um, so we're hopeful. Uh, but first we need to hit a million signatures so please sign <laughs> sign please the ECI sign. if you are a European citizen if you're not a European citizen um, don't worry we are going to come fight facial recognition where you are as soon as we can um, but you cannot sign this ECI <laughs> um, anyway excellent well thanks for listening everyone and remember we're running a survey to work out how we can improve this podcast uh, we want to know what you think, so please fill out the survey. At, um, it's at our again on our website, which we use a URL shortener at to keep it simpler. So it's pvcy.org/tpsurvey, and you can find out more about PI and our work at our website, our regular website, privacyinternational.org. And as ever, we'll include some links to the relevant articles and information in the description wherever you're listening. And of course, you can like and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use. It's also available on our website. The music is courtesy of Sepia.